Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. It's good to see your smiling faces. Yeah. So we're going to be talking today. Uh, we're talking. We've been talking about the gifts of the spirit. We're going to be talking today about the gift of faith. Um, but I just, I kind of want to talk just about faith in general because I feel like there's been a lot of teaching on faith over the years. Um, and some of it really, really good, and then some of it, uh, if you're not careful, you could get, you could get um, sunk. I've got to put this on. We have someone with us that needs me to wear this so he can hear better. Can you hear? Is that, is that working? Is it on? I hope so. Is it on? Is that working? Can you hear better now? hoping that he can hear me okay all right well um so yeah I, I we've been talking about the gifts of the spirit we've been talking about um and i let's talk about this real quick the gifts of the spirit are actually when paul says you know there are various gifts then he says to each is given the manifestation and he goes on to talk about the things that we call the spiritual gifts it, they're really manifestations of the spirit it's actually the spirit of god on display or on exhibit. It's a manifestation. So what it means is that the Spirit of God that's in you manifests something that was not there and that you didn't create, that you didn't make happen, and it's for His glory, and it's as He desires, as He wills, according to the Word. So let's just never forget that, because I think sometimes if we're not careful, we'll take these things and we'll make them out to be something that we're striving for and that we're working for. We'll see these things happen in other people's lives, and suddenly we'll become self-condemned because we see something happening in someone that we don't see happening in us sometimes. And we start to wonder, what's wrong with me? And we start to compare ourselves among other people without realizing that they may be operating in something because there's a need for that in, in the moment that they're in, in their life that you don't have in your life. Or that they are stepping into something or saying yes to something that you're not called to step into and say yes to at that time. Everybody's life, born again, doesn't look the exact same. That's the amazing thing about the body of Christ. If everybody would stop trying to be somebody else and just trust that who He made them to be is enough, the body of Christ would be the most beautiful display of the love of God in the world. We would have no striving. We'd have no envy. We'd have no jealousy. Paul said, what? there's striving and envy and jealousy going on among you. Why are you acting like mere humans? In other words, you're forgetting that you're born again and that you're no longer just the man, that the Spirit of God lives in you. Because if you understand that the Spirit of God lives in you and that you are who He created you to be, you would never want to be somebody else. You'd want to be the best representation of who the Father planned for you to be when He created you. And you would not look at other people's lives and judge yourself by them. You would look at Jesus and He would become the standard. And so, um, so we're talking about, about the gift of faith, um, but I want to talk a little bit about just about the whole subject of faith because I think maybe sometimes we get them mixed up or, or we get them confused a little bit. And I think there's a danger in doing that. Um, but I, there's, there's three different kinds of faith I want to talk about. There's all kinds of faith in the Bible, if you read. I mean, there's, 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 it mentions the spirit of faith and it talks about dead faith and it talks about all kinds of different faith. But, but I want to talk just about three different kinds. The first one is, is this saving faith. Like, this is what Paul was talking about when he said, for by grace you are saved through faith. 
when he was writing to the church in, in Ephesus, he's explaining to them how they can become born again um, in Ephesians 2.8. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And, and that word gift there that he uses when he's talking about the gift that we're given by God through faith is the word uh, Dorian, which means a present or a sacrifice, a gift. And it's a different word that Paul uses when he talks about gifts, when he says there are various gifts of the Spirit. And so, but this, word, this, this faith here he's talking about is basically, you were dead in your sin. You were incapable on your own of turning to the Father, of receiving what Jesus died on a cross for you to receive. You could not do that by yourself. And then suddenly, by a gift of faith, by the grace of God, the faith came, and you saw and you believed. And it had nothing to do with you being such a great person. It had everything to do with Him being such a kind and loving Father. And it was grace that came onto your life and you understood and you saw your need for a Savior and you realized what Jesus had done. And, and if you're like me, when, you, when that moment came and you saw who you were apart from Him and you realized where your life had gone and what you had become, the moment that I saw that instantly inside of me, I knew I need a Savior and I can't save myself. And instantly I was so thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made on a cross and realizing that He died in my place, that He paid the price, that He shed His blood for my sins, and that I could actually be saved, born again, a new creation in Christ. So that's like saving faith. And every person who's born again, that gift of faith has come to them. And, and then there's, there's like the faith that grows. It says, to each has been given a measure of faith. And when Paul was talking to the church in, uh, in Thessalonica, he says um, in, cha- in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. He's saying, your faith is growing. So this is not like the, the, the initial faith that was, you know, brought you to salvation, that gift of faith. This is the faith that everyone has a measure of. And this faith here, we actually, it grows in us as we know Him, as we step out, as we experience Him, as we trust Him, as we exercise faith, it begins to grow. I, I, we, were at, uh, we were at Carowinds this past Monday. And we went on the, 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 the ride, the Fury, right? And so it goes up 325 feet and then it demonically just drops straight down almost <laughs> in a little steel death trap that you're strapped to. And in that moment, you realize as you're going up that track and there's no way to get off that you've put your faith in this thing. You've put your faith in the people that engineered it, but you've also put your faith in the very steel that you're sitting on and the very steel that the tracks are made of. And you have, you have firmly entrusted yourself by faith that this thing will get you back to where you started in one piece without coming off the rails and without you dying. And the, I, I don't know about you guys, you know, and listen, don't, try, don't make me look bad and be like, oh, I wasn't scared at all. I was a little nervous going up that track. My faith was pistis, little. And Jesus said, you have little faith. It was pistis faith. You have pistis faith. My, my faith was kind of pistis. And we got to the top, and my wife began to scream as though someone was being murdered. And we started going down, and she screamed until we stopped. 
I promise. It was one long scream paused very briefly for breaths. But then the crazy thing happened is that I wanted to do it again. Because once you've put your faith in something and you see that it's actually going to work, you're not going to die. It's a little bit easier to put your faith in it and you actually begin to enjoy it a little bit. And then I wanted to do it again. And again. And each time it took a little less working up faith because my faith had grown. And it's the same thing with the Father. We step out and we take Him at His Word. Listen, we're called to live by faith, which means what? There's going to be times where you step into something, not because you have it all figured out, but because you trust the One who does. And the first time you do, you remember the first time you prayed for someone who was sick? Everybody remember that time? Has anyone here never prayed for someone who's sick? It's okay. No? Awesome. Everybody in here has prayed for a sick person, or they're liars, and we'll do an altar call for that. <laughs> listen, no, listen. The first time you do it, it's like your hands are shaking, your palms are sweaty, right? And you're like thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to pray for this person. And you know you're supposed to do it. You feel the heart of God towards that person and the compassion towards him. And you're starting to, like Jesus, be moved by compassion. You're thinking, I'm going to pray for this person. You're working yourself up and then you chicken out and you don't do it. You go home and you think, I should have prayed for them. And then the next time you see it and you're like, I'm going to do it because I remember that feeling last time and I don't want to feel that and I know that God loves them and I want to display His heart. I'm going to pray for them if they will just say my name. Just God, just let them say my name. That's it. I'll know that that means that you want them, me to pray for them if they just simply say my name. They're not saying my name. And I still feel like I should pray for them. And I don't. And I'm at home and I'm kind of beating myself up a little bit because I don't realize that it's actually a privilege to love people. But then I see another person and this time I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm going to pray for them. They're going to be healed because I have faith. And you're working yourself up a little bit and you go over to them and you're like, you look sick. stupid I mean I mean what happened <laughs> yeah no, I mean I don't, you look fine well not fine but you I'm sorry and you run off but that moment came when you actually went up to the person and you said, I, I just, I really believe that God wants to heal you. I believe He's the healer. And I believe that He's told people if we followed Him, that if we lay our hands on the sick, they would recover. And I just, I couldn't help but notice. And I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And you pray for them. And whether they get healed or not, you realize something. It's not so hard to reach out and actually put your hands on someone and demonstrate the love of the Father towards them. And the next time it becomes a little bit easier. Why? Because your faith is growing. And then you, you see somebody get healed. You see them freak out and start going, oh my gosh. And you're just as freaked out as they are. Because you're just as surprised a lot of times. Right? Like, even if I'm like full of faith and I see it happen, I remember, uh, I don't think Lisa's here, but I remember the, the time when it probably shocked me the most 
it, it didn't, but it did, right? That we, we, she asked if I'd go to the hospital and pray for her, uh, her friend's husband who was, had liver failure. He was orange. He was on machines, and the doctors gave him no time to live. All the family had flown in to say goodbye to him. And she said, you know, they, they go to church, but they just aren't really sure. And right now they're looking at what they're seeing, and he's on all these machines, and his skin is orange. And they just, they, they really honestly don't even feel like they could go in there and with any shred of faith pray for him. And they asked if I, if I would come, and so I asked them if it was okay if I brought you, and I was like, let's go. And I had this faith well up in me to where when we walked into the hospital, and they're in the, they're in the waiting room, and they said to us, they said, thank you so much for coming. And they're, you know, they're all crying, and they're really sad because, you know, it's, this is it. And, and they said, you know, he's, he's in a coma, um, and he's not really expected to come back out of it, but they said, just be careful with what you say, because we think that maybe he can hear us still. And I, I took the one lady by the shoulders and I said, I want him to hear every word that I say. Trust me. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and so we walk in the room and I'm, I, I'm, I am not kidding you. When I came around the corner and we walked in the room and I actually saw him for a minute, it was like my faith was shaken to the core because he's orange. And he's on so many machines. There's tubes everywhere. And his blood's circulating through a machine that's trying to do what his liver is supposed to do. And, and my faith was shaken for a moment. And, and I, I, I remember reminding myself, I didn't come here because I believe in what I see. I came here because I believe in him. I remember just having that thought come into my head of, like, I didn't come here because I saw something good. I came here because I believe that God is good. And because I trust him. And if we're not careful, guys, sometimes our faith will become in our faith. Like, we're our faith no longer even in Him. We're putting our faith in our faith because we're like, well, well, I believe. And, you know, we start working ourselves up or thinking like, man, if I just believed a little more, if I just fasted a little more, if I just had more faith, if I just, if I just, and pretty soon we've lost sight of the fact that it's because we believe in Him, not because we believe in ourselves and the faith that we have. And there's a lot that's been taught, and rightfully so, you know, with Jesus saying, because of your unbelief, and this only comes out by praying and fasting, I get that. But if we're not careful, we'll make it all about that. We'll remove him from the equation, and suddenly our faith isn't even in him anymore. It's in our faith. We trust our faith more than we do the Father. We feel all this pressure and this condemnation of, well, why didn't, and, and what did I do, and what do I need to, and there's nothing wrong with saying, like, God, I want to see everything that they saw in the Bible, and I want to see everything that your word promised, but don't put it on yourself to where it becomes this thing where you're trying to work something up in yourself. Because at that point now, it's no longer even about the Father being good and loving them, it's about you having faith. And so I, I just remember thinking that, God, I didn't come here because of what I saw. I came here because I believe you're good, and I trust you. And so I knelt down, and I grabbed him by the hand. And his, I remember his skin, the way it felt just was weird, you know. And, um, and he's just the, the color of someone who's in total liver, liver failure. It's just so weird. And, uh, and I knelt down, and I took his hands, and I just began to speak to him. And I said, Lou, you were created by a God who loves you. And he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins and redeem your life. And he took stripes on his back for your healing. And his plans for your good to bless you and not to harm you, to prosper you, to give you hope. And Lou, you're a child of God. And the Spirit of God is here right now. And I believe that you're going to be healed and get up out of this bed. 
Not because of what I'm saying, but because of who He is. That was all I knew to pray. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't walk in there just faith man. Shabba! You know? And, uh, I didn't. That's all I knew to pray. Listen, the Bible says, lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. There's a way better chance if you actually lay your hands on the sick and pray for them that they'll recover than if you don't. If the fact that there's a possibility alone should mean that we should want to get our hands on every person we can and pray for them. Why are we making this thing where it's like, well, we don't do, why wouldn't you? What's the worst that happens? They die, they're going to die anyways. What's the worst that happens? You look like a fool? Who cares? Who cares? What does it matter? Like, so the worst case scenario, somebody gets touched by someone who cares enough about them to embarrass themselves because they believe there's a Father that loves them. That's worst case scenario. And you know what the truth is? Whether it happens or not doesn't matter because here's the point. I mean, it matters, obviously, what I'm saying. Whether it happens or not, everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. And everybody loves to find people who actually believe something to the point that they'll do something about it. And so I just prayed and believed the best I could. And we, you know, wasn't, he didn't open his eyes. He didn't stand up. Nothing happened. So we walked out of the hospital and, you know, the family's all there and they're, they're just like, bait, they're consoling us, you know, like, well, thank you guys so much for coming and we know that you did what you could and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I said, I, I believe he's going to be healed, you know, and, and, and so we left and a few days later, Lou came out of the coma. A few days after that, his liver started working. A few days after that, his color was returned to normal. A few days after that, the families that were in town flew home because Lou was going to be fine. Listen, listen, here's the thing though. I didn't go in there because I believed that I believed. I didn't go in there because my faith was in my faith. I went in there because I believed that he's able and he's good. And that if he's asked me to do this, the least I can do is do what he's asked me to do. That's the very least we can give our king. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. All the world. Beginning in Judea and Samaria. What's he saying? Start where you are. Some people feel called to other places. Awesome. Bless them, support them, and love them as they go. But don't put the work of spreading the gospel off on those people and think that's the job for missionaries or evangelists. Everyone was to take the gospel into their hometowns, into Judea and Samaria, into Greer and Taylor's, even Pickens and Easley. You know what? They probably need it more than Greenville. God's not a respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of cities and He likes Greenville more. He just does. I don't know why. Ask him. He's sovereign. He is the Lord. He does what he wants. I was thinking about this last night and I just wrote this down. Sometimes we get so caught up in faith and whose faith and did I have enough faith and did I not? 
that pretty soon our fa- focus is on our faith rather than the one whom we have faith in. Yeah, and that's a wide open door for condemnation from the enemy. Because all of a sudden, you start going, well, well, maybe it, there, there was something wrong with me and there was something wrong with this. And look, we're all growing and I'm not saying that we do everything right, but I am saying that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. What does that mean? It means that if you're living the gospel the best that you know how, you don't take condemnation for what you don't see. You let it encourage you into more of Him so that the next time maybe you see it. And if you don't the next time, what do you do? You just keep on growing and keep on growing and the next time you do it again. Because here's the thing, and this is the easiest contrast I can give you. And, and we're talking about healing because it's one of the most obvious places where the enemy comes to us and tries to attack us over, well, do you, I guess you don't have faith. You must not have much faith. If you have faith, how come? The Bible says if you believe, how I many you must not believe? You know, and everybody's heard that stuff. So the Bible says that it's through the foolishness of preaching the gospel that men are saved. Is it God's will that all men would be saved according to the word in two different places? It's the will of God that none would perish, but all would come to know everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that word terra, the, the inhabitants thereof, the face of the earth, the inhabitants thereof. For God so loved every person that he sent his son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life, would not perish. For God is not slack concerning his promises towards us, but not willing that any would perish, all would come to saving faith. These are verses right out of your Bible. So, so it's his will that every person would come to know him according to the word. And he says it's through the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. But I promise you, has every time that you've shared the gospel, someone fallen to their knees and said, what must I do to be saved? But in that moment, did you say, well, I guess I'm not going to do that preaching the gospel thing because that doesn't work. I tried that gospel stuff. I tried preaching the gospel. I preached the gospel to 300 people and only two people got saved. I preached the gospel to 150 and no one got saved. If it's supposed to work, why didn't they get saved? Because the Bible says it's through the foolishness of preaching. And it's God's will. But nobody says that. But to take it to healing and those same arguments come out of everybody's mouth. Well, if it's God's will, then how come they didn't? And if you prayed for this many people, how come you didn't see everyone? And how come you don't do this? And how come you don't do that? I don't know why. I just know what the Word says. I don't have an answer for everything, but I have an answer that says that if he said to do it, I'm going to trust him and do it. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding because that's where I start determining whether I should do things or not based on what I've seen. And I promise you this, if you were going to do things based on what you've seen, preaching the gospel, you would have given that up. Every single person that preaches the gospel, if they had the same attitude towards the gospel as they do towards healing, everybody would have given up preaching the gospel by now. Every person would have had stories about the person that they, they just fully believed was going to be saved. They shared the gospel with them and they prayed for them and then they didn't believe and I didn't see them believe and they walked away and they rejected Jesus. I used to believe that. I used to pray for that. Well, what about so-and-so? Didn't you preach the gospel to so-and-so? And what happened to them? They still aren't born again. You don't hear that come out of people's mouths, but you hear it all the time about healing. Well, what about so-and-so? You prayed for so-and-so and they didn't get healed. You see how foolish it sounds when we compare the two, and yet both of them proclaimed through the word that we're supposed to do them, and both of them proclaimed through the word that it's his will. And suddenly, our faith is as good as the last time we saw him move. And our faith is reduced down to whether we actually have enough faith or whether we actually believe enough or whether I fasted enough. Or listen, there's so much good in fasting and seeking and going after him and pressing in. And I'm not putting that stuff down. We talk about this stuff all the time. But there needs to be a balance to that of saying, like, don't forget that it's him that we put our faith in, not ourselves. 
and that the responsibility ultimately is his, not ours. We're responsible for our part, but we can only do so much. The rest of it is his. We're never called to results and only called to obedience. Ever. And so then there's the gift of faith. I don't know, someone needed to hear that today. So just like there's a difference in the manifestation of the Spirit, where it says, to one is given the word of wisdom. Yet the Bible says that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely to all men. But then Paul says, to one is given the word of wisdom. So there's a distinction between the wisdom that every person can seek from the Father and receive, and this manifestation of the Spirit where in that moment when Jesus said to the disciples, remember? He said, when they bring you in front of kings and courts to try you and to test you, know that you're there not for that sake, but you're there so that you can give your testimony. And don't worry beforehand what you will say, for in that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. You just open your mouth. What's he saying? You don't have to figure it out. I'll give you all the wisdom you need in the moment. And it won't be wisdom that came from what you learned. It'll be wisdom that came from the Holy Spirit inside of you giving you what to say in that moment. There's a difference between that manifestation of the Spirit, word of wisdom, and the wisdom that flows from us that we receive just by seeking Him and knowing Him and understanding Him. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. In the same way, there's a difference between the faith that everybody has It says we've all been given a measure of faith. That means every single person in here who's born again has been given a measure of faith. Every single person. Just like every person was given talents. It was what they did with them that caused them to grow or stay the same. Everyone's been given a measure of faith, but then there's the gift of faith. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this has been our chapter for a while now. We're going to stay here because this is where we're finding a lot of this stuff. Now, there are varieties of gifts for the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each one is given a display of the Spirit for the benefit of all. To each one. You realize if you're born again, the Spirit has been manifesting and displaying Himself in your life. And that's why Paul said, according to things that are spiritual, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Because you know what happens a lot of times when we start to learn about spiritual gifts? We realize, that's been going on my whole life. I just didn't know what it was. Do you know how many people have, the gift, have, been, have, have operated in the gift of discerning of spirits, but they had no clue? I just got this weird feeling around that person, you know. Um, uh, there's this guy that, that, some, that, that did some really horrible things, and, and when my wife saw him, she said, I, oh, I, yeah, I always had a creepy feeling around that guy. I didn't know why. It made, even as a kid, my skin crawled. It's just it's discerning of spirits. But if you're ignorant to things of the Spirit, you have no idea what it is. And you just sometimes people just ignore that stuff or just write that stuff off. You can even feel bad and start to judge yourself and think, I'm a horrible person. How, how could I think that about them? They're a nice person. Why? Because he said, listen, they're not going to come like wolves with their teeth out. They're going to come like wolves in sheep's clothing, meaning what? You have to be able to see by the spirit, not by the physical. Otherwise, you'll think they're a sheep and they're getting ready to bite. It's discerning. And, and, and so when we learn about these gifts, a lot of times we realize, oh, I, I, I've actually had these things happen in my life. I just didn't know what they were. And that's why Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I don't want you to not know about these things. And so, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit 
for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And you see how he's going around, he's saying, this one receives this, this one receives that, this one receives that. And some people think, you know, you get one gift, and that's the gift that you operate in. And I do think there, there is something to be said about, some people seem to operate in a certain gift more often than others. But I don't think it's because the Holy Spirit sovereignly said, okay, this is your only gift. And because the gift you need is the gift, I mean, the, the most important gift to have is the one that you need in the moment. But I think what we see is this, is that there are people who put themselves in positions where they need those gifts more than other people. And so subsequently, that gift is manifesting in their life more. So if you have someone who is out evangelizing and talking to people and sharing Jesus, there's a good chance they're going to get words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, stuff like that more often than the person who never goes out and shares their faith. Why? Because the person who's sitting on his couch doesn't need a word of knowledge about the person at the bus stop. The person at the bus stop sitting next to them does. And then we, what happens if we're not careful is we will start labeling people by their gift rather than understanding that they're manifesting a gift of the Spirit because they're placing themselves in a place where it's needed because the Spirit of God is on the earth to bring all to God. And so he's giving these gifts as he chooses for the benefit of all. If, you're, if, if the gift that he gives you isn't benefiting anybody, what's the point of continuing to give it to you? There's a purpose behind it. And so the gift of faith is not this faith that we always have. You always have faith. You always grow in your faith. A gift of faith is where, like, in an instant, something comes over you and you just supernaturally believe in spite of everything you see or everything you've experienced that God's Word is true or that His promise is true or that He will do what He said. And it's the most incredible thing if you've ever had it happen. How many people feel like they've ever had a gift of faith just come over them, a manifestation of... Yeah. Hey, listen... It's amazing because it's like you can't see anything else. It's like blinders go on and all of a sudden you can't see anything but what he said. I remember the first time this happened to me, I had just got born again. I had just discovered that God spoke to me and I was sitting in front of my parole officer asking about being able to move and he told me no. I knew what God had told me, and I was supposed to move so much so that I had everything I owned already loaded into my little pickup truck, and I was just hitting his office on the way out of town. (laughs) Seriously, I was stopping on my way out of town. And he said no. I I couldn't even register. I just sat there looking at him. Because I knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to go. And after about 20 seconds of this weird stare down kind of thing... He said, I don't know why, but I'm going to let you go. But I promise you, had I not had a gift of faith on me in that moment to believe what God said, I might have said okay and turned around and walked out of his office and he probably wouldn't have changed his mind. I remember when my mother-in-law was in an accident. This is the next time I remember it just so vividly. My mother-in-law was in an accident, and she had a liver problem. And and the doctors were talking really negatively, you know. And and one nurse to the point that when when Patty was asking, so when my mom gets out of here, how long is it going to take for rehab and all this stuff? And and the lady takes Patty's. And if you're a nurse, please don't do this. I understand that, like, she might have been trying to do the right thing. But she says, sweetie, you need to start thinking in terms of if she gets out of here, not when and started describing to us how severe the injury was and how low the percentages of her recovering were. And I remember my wife slumping against the wall after that happened, and I remember this gift of faith rising up in me, and I looked at her and I just said, I know she's going to be fine. 
do not listen to what they're saying. I remember one night Larry waking up in the middle of the night and a bad report had come, taking him by his shoulders and holding him and saying, you listen to me, she's going to be fine. Not trying to build his courage up, and, and I just knew. And I wish you had that in every situation. I wish that in every situation I could look at people with the same conviction and say that, but I personally haven't been able to do that. I haven't been able to work that up myself. I haven't been able to, to fast enough and faith it enough. But in that moment, I wasn't working it up. I wasn't like straining or striving or struggling. It just was this faith that was in, manifesting in me by the Holy Spirit. And I was looking at him and I said to him, and as much as I knew that my name was Roy, I knew she was going to be fine. And a three to six month hospital stay and rehabilitation turned into a 10 day stay in the hospital and walking with a walker down the aisle at her dad's funeral by herself. Or mom's funeral, sorry, by herself in less than two weeks. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying it was because I had the faith. What I'm saying is I think that gift was on me to be able to encourage people who were being emotionally racked by what they were seeing. And I just believe that that gift was there so that people wouldn't lose heart, so people wouldn't lose faith. And I was able to look them in the eyes and encourage them. It's a, it's a gift. And it comes upon you. And you know what? I think a lot of the things that we saw in the Bible, like I think Jonathan, when he t- looks at his armor bearer, there's a whole garrison of Philistines. A whole army. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, hey, let's go up there. Okay, you don't do that. You just don't. There's hundreds of them, and they're all men of war. They're an army. They're armed. He says, for the Lord is able to save, whether by many or by few. Let's go up there and see if perhaps the Lord will do something. There's the brilliant strategy that Jonathan had. If anybody says that to anybody else but his armor bearer, they look at him and say, dude, no. (laughs) Right? Like, if someone comes to you, and you're looking at a whole army of warriors that have sworn to then annihilate you and wipe you, and they're actually being demonically used to try to eliminate the people of Israel from the face of the earth. That's what they've set themselves to do. They don't even realize they're doing the enemy's work. They don't even realize that they're being used by the devil to try to eliminate God's people so that the promised Christ couldn't come. That's what their goal was. And these people are up on this hill, and there's Nephilim and giants and all these people. And all of a sudden, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and has a brilliant strategy. Hey, why don't the two of us, why don't we climb up there? Why don't we climb the cliff? And armor bearer looks at him, and I think a gift of faith came over him because he looks at him and says, do all that's in your heart, I'm with you. Seriously, like I think in that moment, the armor bearer had a gift of faith come over him because logically thinking, militarily thinking, there's nothing that could, but I want to I propose this to you. I don't think that David was operating in a gift of faith as much as he was just the faith that he had in God that had been groomed over time when he ran into the battle against Goliath. I think the gift of faith was probably on him when the lion came and took the first lamb. Because he said, a lion came and took one of the lambs and I pursued it and I overtook it and I killed it and I got the lamb back. Who does that? He didn't have a history with the Lord built up at that time. But when he walks into battle with Goliath, suddenly he says to him, God did this and God did this. Surely he will do this. 
No longer needing the gift of faith in that moment because the faith that he has in God has been cultivated by his history of trusting and stepping out when God gave him faith. And I think that we look back sometimes on people in the Bible without realizing that they were operating in a gift of faith. And if we're not careful, we'll start to compare ourselves to them. We'll start to say, well, I wish I had faith like so-and-so. And, you know, there's, there, there's awesome things in, in having heroes from the Bible. But believe this, there were times when there were gifts operating and the, and the people writing the Bible didn't know what was happening, so they didn't write. And Peter, operating in a gift of faith, told the man, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and grabbed him by the hand and yanked him up. And as he did, his ankles were healed. They didn't write that he was operating in a gift of faith or a gift of healing in that moment. They just said what he did. And we look and we go, man, I want faith like Peter's and that's awesome. But when we get to the point where we start to put ourselves down because we don't have faith like Peter's without realizing that Peter was in that moment acting in a supernatural gift of faith. If he was. I'm not saying that I know for a fact that he was, but I am saying that if the gifts of the Spirit were in operation at that time, some of the things that we read about weren't actually people's faith. They were a gift of faith that they were operating in. And if we're not careful, we'll start to compare ourselves. And we'll start to say, well, I wish I had faith like so-and-so because look at what they did and look at what they did. The other thing I want us to realize, and I, I don't, I just, someone needs to hear this. I, I bow hunt. I bow hunt here in South Carolina less and less because everything we bow hunt gets developed. Me and Colin are the kiss of death. We bow hunt a place, pretty soon the surveyors show up and next come the dozers. I'm serious. You want land by you clear? Just have me and Colin come hunted. Within, especially if we kill a deer there. Then it's like a 100% success rate guaranteed the dozers are coming. And, but, but there's these things called hunting videos where they take these people who, who do this for a living and they get up every day and they spend basically all day long in a tree stand from September to January and they shoot thousands of hours of footage and they condense it down into this half hour. And each person might only have like five minutes within that half hour. And you could be really disappointed and really disheartened if you watched a hunting video which condenses thousands of hours down to five minutes and then went out and hunted in the woods in South Carolina and expected that it was going to look like what you saw. Severely disappointed. <laughs> like, just jump out of your tree stand, disappointed. In the same way, when we read about someone's entire life in a section of a book, we can start to think, wow. But I promise you this, if you follow Jesus every day of your life, when you look back on your life and they condense your life down to a little excerpt, it'll look pretty amazing to the people coming behind you just the same. And if they didn't know you in the times when you sat around a campfire denying that you even knew who Jesus was, they might be tempted to think that all you were was the person that when you walked by your shadow healed people. Thank God the disciples included some of that stuff in there. Because otherwise, it'd be really easy to look back on other people and measure ourselves against them and become pretty depressed about who we are or who we're not. In the same way, there's times where people acted under the influence of a gift. And we can let that encourage us and we can pray for it. And that's why Paul said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Why? 
because the reason you need gifts is you're reaching people. That's the thing that causes the frustration in you is you want to see people saved. So you have this tension of going, if God, if, if I could just, because then they will, you know, and you've got this thing going where it's a righteous frustration towards wanting to see him manifest in your life. And you put yourself in position and then all of a sudden he does manifest. Why? Because he gives himself to those who need him. Everybody needs to be saved so everybody gets salvation. Everybody needs peace so he's the Prince of Peace and everybody gets peace. But the people who need the manifestations of the Spirit are the people who it's going to actually do some good for everybody. So if you want to see him manifest, one thing I can tell you is this. There's not a formula to it, but put yourself in a position where you actually need him to show up. Challenge him. Be like, be like Elijah. Build the altar, soak it with wood, and put yourself in a position that says, if he doesn't show up, I'm in trouble. Because he's attracted to that. Because that's faith. And grow in that. And, and, and grow in your faith. And get to the point where, like David, you don't need a gift of faith in that moment. You look back at your history with God and you say, well, God did this and God did this. Surely God will do this. But also understand that there's times in your life where you need a gift of faith. And when it comes, act. I'm going to just wrap up with that. Any of these gifts, when they come, act on them. God didn't give you a word of knowledge about somebody for you to know something about them and think, whoa, that's pretty cool, I know that. He gave it to you so that you would share that with them so it would open their heart up to be able to hear the rest of what He wants to say to them. He's not giving you the gift of faith for you to sit in a corner and be like, oh, well, at least I know she's not going to die. Thank you, God, for the gift of faith. I'm now watching all these faithless people. I know she's not going to die. In fact, I think I'll write it down and date it so that when she doesn't die, I can show them what great faith I had in this moment. That's not what it's for. It's so that you can grab the one who's freaking out, spin their shoulders around, look them in the eye and say, she's going to be fine. You listen to me, she's going to be fine. And so you can kneel in front of the guy who's supposed to die in a couple of days and pray for him and then go out and tell his family, don't you lose heart. Don't you give up on him. He's going to be fine. Why? Because in all these things, God gets glory. Because nobody can take the credit for that stuff happening. Nobody. It's a gift. Not a work, lest any man should boast. Father, I thank you for these, these gifts of the Spirit, God. I, I thank you for this saving faith that came into our lives, God, through your grace, and we were able to see you. God, I thank you for the faith that each of us has deposited in us, like a mustard seed that grows, and though it's the smallest of seeds, Jesus, you said that when it grows, it becomes this large tree so large that the birds of the air can make their homes in the branches. God, I also thank you for this gift of faith that you've promised that you give as you will. God, I just pray that we wouldn't be ignorant, God, not only that, but that we would act when these gifts come our way, God. When the Spirit is manifesting Himself, that we would be used for the common good, that we wouldn't keep it to ourselves, but we would actually give away what you've given to us because freely we've received, now freely we give. I just thank you for that, Father. I thank you for stirring up a hunger inside of us to see your Spirit manifest in our lives. God, that we step into positions willfully knowing you you have to show up or I have nothing. 
You've called me here, God. I'm going to step out and I'm going to trust you and take you at your word. And I thank you for that. I thank you for boldness rising up in people, God. That, that this fear of man thing, that this fear of embarrassment, that this fear of looking stupid, you, we, God, let us know that we already look pretty stupid in so much that we do, that the one thing that doesn't look stupid to you is faith. The one thing that doesn't look stupid to you is someone believing you and taking you at your word and acting upon it. And I just thank you for that. I thank you that we don't put our faith in our faith, God. That that we don't become so dependent on what we believe that we forget the one we believe in. That we don't become so dependent on our faith that that we become less dependent on the one who is faithful. That we would always remember, God, that our faith is only there because of you and that it's in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There was another time recently um, where, where the, I saw this thing with the gift of faith. Because, you know, sometimes the gift of faith comes and then you step into something. And sometimes it comes as you step into something, almost like a confirmation. Right? And so we'd been talking about going to two services. And I said in a Sunday service, I don't want to go to two services. It, we're, you know, it's, this is going to happen and burn people out and all this stuff. And as I said it, my wife was sitting on the front row, had this check that said he shouldn't have said that. She did. And so the next day we're talking and, and she says, um, so you shouldn't have said that yesterday. I said, why not? She said, because I think that's what the Lord wants us to do. And I was like, well, well I don't. <laughs> and I listed off my reasons. And she just kind of smiled and said, yeah, but we're supposed to. And she said, why don't you just pray about it? And she just had this faith that we're not going to lose the feeling of family, that, that people aren't going to burn out. God has no intention of burning people out. It's why the bush could be burning but not consumed. It's because it was God that was burning the bush, not man. It's going to be God that burns inside of us, not ourselves. There's not going to be any burnout because he's an all-consuming fire. He burns forever, and the bush just stays there. He wants to light us on fire in the same way. And so she just believed this stuff. She just had this faith, you know. And, and it, I started praying about it, and, and it was like all of a sudden I realized this is what we're supposed to do. And as the words came out of my mouth, along with it came this amazing faith of like, we can do this. And we can do it amazingly well because it's His heart. And people aren't going to burn out. And we're going to invite everybody that comes into the church as a result of this into the family just the way the people who are already here are invited into the family. And no one's going to burn out, and it's just going to be more people hearing the gospel. More people getting set on fire for the Lord. More people being brought into the kingdom of God. More opportunity to reach people. God has no heart for people to come, look through the windows, and turn around and leave on a Sunday morning because there's no place to sit. And if He's sending people here, then He's equipped us to be able to receive them and to be able to minister to them and be able to walk with them and welcome them into the family. And it's like, so you had Patty who had this faith come before the decision was made. Maybe she'd tell you the decision was made when she knew. And then you had me who the faith came after the decision was made. Sometimes you'll get this, like this great faith will come over you and it helps you make a decision. But sometimes you've got to make the decision. Sometimes you have to actually step before God actually makes the water firm under your feet.